Welcome to the Table Perspective, where we take a deeper look into how the internal narrative of an individual actually determines the responses to life itself and all it entails. I'm your host today, Beulah, and I am very excited to share about a little bit of a book that I had recently started reading. Unfortunately, I have not finished it yet, but just the beginning part of it is already so grasping and I'd love to elaborate more on it. So we're going to go into our first song and right after that, we will uh, head straight into it. Enjoy.
So the name of the book is called Peace Child and it is written by Don Richardson. On the front cover, it states that it's an unforgettable story of a primitive jungle treachery in the 20th century. On the back of the book, it elaborates a little bit more about what the story is. And the opening phrase is actually, how do you tell a cannibal about love? Headhunting cannibals who use their victims' skulls as pillows, the Sawi people of New Guinea, seem to still be living in the Stone Age. Among the Sawi, treachery was more than a way of life. It was an ideal which unnumbered generations of their people had uh, conceived, systematized and perfected. For them, to fatten with friendship, quote-unquote, a victim before slaughter was the highest, most glorious form of treachery. The heroes of Sawi legend weren't those who took the greatest number of heads in battle or ambush, but actually those who were the most deceitful in befriending their victims before they took their heads. It was to these people that Don and Carol Richardson went in 1962, risking their lives to actually shed the gospel and tell of the true peace child, a figure the Sawis knew vaguely from their own mythology. This is a gripping account of the Richardson unforgettable real-life adventure. And just from the pages that I had read, I'd actually finished until uh, chapter 4. Usually when I read books of missionaries or um, autobiographies or testimonies, sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to sort of put yourself in the feet of those who were writing the book. So for instance, with the book uh, Shadow of the Almighty, written by Elizabeth Elliot, it was a recollection of Jim Elliot's uh, life and his testimony of how he had gone to minister to the Orca people. And um, it was kind of a challenging book to read in that it was his constant testimonial, his writing in his journals, and you having to really envision how he was experiencing that time. But reading Peace Child just on a note of the author, is really a phenomenal way that he's written in that you really do feel as though you were there. In the beginning of the book, there's a dedication specifically to the men, women and children who prayed and shared their earthly substance that the Sawi might hear um, and they gratefully dedicate those pages to them. So according to the website, it says that uh, with the product description as well, Don Richardson was the author of Secrets of the Quran, Lords of the Earth and Eternity in Their Hearts. He has been studying the Muslim world for more than 30 years. He and his wife, Carol, spent 15 years among the Sawi, a Stone Age tribe of Iranian Jaya. Don designed a alphabet suited to the Sawi language, authored 19 primers, taught the tribesmen to read in their native tongue and translated the entire New Testament. More than a half of the Sawi accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Since 1977, Don has served as an ambassador at large for World Team, a mission organization. Don holds a honorary doctorate of literature from the Biola University in La Marida, California. He is an ordained pastor and speaks at more than 40 church conferences each year. And the reason why I wanted to just go into that a little bit, because the perspective of him having been able to teach the tribesmen and translate the New Testament is encouraging to see when you start reading the first pages of the book, where it seems there's great despair in um, being able to achieve this goal that he had pursued. And I just want to go into a couple pages in the first chapter. Or actually, I think I'm going to skip over to the second chapter because the way that it is so descriptive is it's I would say that it's almost gory, but it is a clear description of how humans without 
not only a moral compass, but specifically Christ, can often get caught up in a small world of their own desires and create these really horrible uh, manners. And what is the, the term more put, correctly put, would be these systems and, and, and religious practices that they, they really put themselves into. And children would be at the hands of their mercy, in a sense. So um, just taking note on the way that the author reads, or rather how he has written the book, is something to really enjoy. So chapter two, Fattened with Friendship, states as follows. The mid-morning sun had drawn beads of sweat from Ye's forehead by the time he had reached the entrance of the Hanai tributary leading to Hainam's territory. He had left shimmering a 200-foot-wide channel of the Kronkel and soon felt his skin cooling in the deep shade of the Hanai River, the narrow-walled jungle course. He stooped to drink while still standing in his canoe scooping water with his hand, but he did not drink the water from his palm. Rather, he tossed each scoop into the air and caught it in mid-air with his mouth. Any other way of drinking water from the river was beneath his dignity. It could also be dangerous. Harmful spirits apparently lived in the river, and if one did not drink in the prescribed way, they might invade one's body through the act of drinking. Ye straightened up and his eyes probed the bushes overhanging the river ahead of him. There it was, the leering skull of the hapless Kayagar, killed by the Nair, uh, one of the most feared wa uh, warriors of Hainam. The skull hung suspended from a branch, its eye holes filled with bright red seeds embedded in black tree gum, giving it a most menacing appearance. Fluttering feathers hanging from each ear hole gave an impression of hair. Nair had hung it there as a warning to enemies of Hainam. So in the second chapter, um, he had began befriending some of the tribes. He was also from a specific tribe. So the Hainam tribe had now created contact with the other tribe of Sawi people. And he was attempting to perhaps have better relationship with them so that they could make an exchange. But the problem is that as they honor friendship really as a matter of treachery, going into pages 33, he had now come to his end's meet. And it says that Ye accepted the string gladly and began to tie the knots. While he was preoccupied at this task, Mahan had looked at Giriman and raised his eyebrows ever so slightly. At this point, Yeman Ye had already been trying to pursue a friendship with this other tribe for over a couple of weeks, and he had started to trust them, almost thinking that it would be possible that um, Sawi people could actually befriend people on the basis of, of trust and friendship. But in actual fact, we'll see shortly, that's not the case. So Giriman saw the signal and passed it on to Maum. Maum passed it on to Kani and Kani to Yamasi. By that time, all of the Heina men pres present had noticed the signal. Mayhan slowly moved his right hand under the edge of the grass mat on which he sat and drew forth a long, needle-sharp bone dagger, carved from the thigh bone of a giant cassowary bird. Geriman, Yamasi and Maum stood to their feet very casually and pretended to stretch themselves, while drawing long barbed ironwood spears from the overhead weapon rack, grinning wickedly at each other, they held the spears poised over Ye while he hunched over the string, tying knots. Other in the assembly likewise armed themselves. Stone axes and spears, bows and arrows appeared as if by magic from under grass mats. Each man who was armed stood quietly to his feet and moved closer to Ye. The only host who did not arm himself was Kaowan. 
That was actually the person had, who Ye had initially made contact with to befriend. Kawan was uh, almost the, I guess, the door entrance into the whole rela- relationship. He simply leaned back against the Sahu front wall or Sago front wall, smiling at Ye and maintaining the thread of conversation while Ye tied the knots. Ye noticed it was gradually getting darker around him and quieter. His skin began to crawl with an icy chill, but he forced himself to look up optimistically. First, he saw the weapons, and then something even more horrifying, the eyes of his hosts. Every eye was riveted on, upon Ye, bulging with voracious anticipation, straining to observe the expression on Ye's countenance. They saw what they had been waiting for seven months to see the change of expression on Ye's face. Gloatingly, their eyes drank in the spectacle of serene confidence being devoured by abject terror, of cherished hope unexpectedly stabbed by black despair. For months to come, they would indulge in avid descriptions of every detail they were now observing in this moment of truth. They would strive to outdo each other in depicting how Ye's eyes became dilated, how his lips trembled and how his entire body broke out with a cold sweat. The manhouse would rock with laughter, and after each oracle, nuisance of or nuance of the subject produced. As Ye sat transfixed, choking with terror, Geriman stepped directly in front of him, spear poised for the strike. Ye saw Geriman's mouth open and heard the cruel, hissing voice say, Tui Asonai Mekarin, we have been fattening you with friendship for the slaughter. It was an old Sawi expression, terse deadly, which expressed in three words one of the deepest undercurrents of the Sawi culture, the idealization of treachery. It told Ye that the men of Hainam had intended to kill him from the beginning, but being confident that he would return again and again, they had decided on a long-delayed execution. To have killed Ye in the early stages would have been to settle for a commonplace murder, which anyone could in treachery achieve. But to sustain the deception of friendship over a period of months and then to consummate it as they were now doing or would call, what called for their special sophistication in treachery, which was the elixir of the Sawi legends. So to close off, in a sense, as we go into our next song, I'm going to just finish off how this specifically relates to how the author had written it. So we're going to go into the second song and you don't go anywhere. We'll be done in a second. The ministry of reconciliation. It's not all up to him. He's invested in us what is necessary to make effective change in others, effective change in our families, effective change in our neighborhoods, effective change in our cities. I look at the city of Philadelphia right now. I was just telling somebody, a lot of people, when they see me on a train, they ask me, Truth, what you doing on the train? They can't understand why I catch the train and I catch the bus. And I can't explain it to all of them, <laughs> but the reason why I still catch the train and I catch the bus is because it helps me to stay connected. Helps me to stay connected to what's going on in the city. Helps me to stay connected to what's going on in urban life. So that I know I stay sharp in thinking about how to effectively minister to them. And I look at the city of Philadelphia right now, my heart beats and burns like never before, like never, ever before. I mean, maybe when I was like 16, that's the last time my heart burned like this for my city. But my heart literally burns for my city. Where next year, I'm gonna be grinding. I'm gonna be rallying up the troops. 
and we're going to take it outside of the unplugged atmosphere and we're going right into the thick of it. We're going to be incarnational for real. We're not just going to throw the, throw the word around because it's popular. We're not just going to throw, throw the missional word around because it's popular. We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to actually be, not just talk. So I pray that we have this mind that God has given us the grace to be. <laughs> the grace to be what people need. When we walk into a room, there's a treasure in us that the world needs. There's a light in us that the world needs that dispels the darkness. Blessed are those, the Bible says, who snatches their brother out of the gates of the depths of hell. Think about that. Now, if you were to just say that without reading that in the scriptures, you would think that's blasphemy. You don't have the power to snatch somebody out of hell. That's what the Bible says in the book of James. Blessed are the brothers that take the initiative, see another person headed in the wrong direction and fights for them to snatch them out. Because we can change the world. 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 Power's in you. Power's in you. Powers in you. All oh, the powers in you. Power of the resurrection, power of God is at work in us, through us, to make effective change. We can change the world. Oh, yeah. We can change the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this point, Ye has now come to the conclusion that he's going to be murdered. And specifically, I would like to mention the fact that the author who had known that this would happen, this is basically the basis of the way the Sawi people live, is the best way to kill and the best way to murder and to, to actually be a headhunter is to do it in the most deceptive manner. And somehow, by really the power of God, Don Richardson and Carol was able to uh, minister deeply to these people and see them transformed, where they were no longer these people subject to a, a manner of tradition, but actually the freedom of choice, where they could have real relationships with people and with one another and have fulfilling lives. So just to, sh to close off, I would really encourage you to pick up this book if ever you have some time to read. It's really an intriguing one. And the way that the author reads really is, or rather the author writes, is a really a joy to read. It's grasping, it's thrilling, and yes, it is real life, which is a sobering manner of a book. But I highly encourage you to, to try it out if you ever can. So that's all from me. I hope that you have a glorious day. And till next time. <laughs> Cheers. to be back.
feel good to be alive, I got my family back Cause he holds it all together, got my family intact Don't get it twisted if the consequence of tragedy lasts Yeah, I know you see the flights of Miami and Pat But y'all ain't see when I was broken and financially strapped But I couldn't pay my mortgage and I was sleeping on the floor In my mama's house, homie, practically stripped Y'all see me right now, new record on shelves With a mic in the stage, how I'm protecting myself Y'all ain't see how that scene was affecting my health How the mess that I was in was affecting my sales That affected my wealth Trying to eat like a mouse in the cupboard Trying to sleep Heat in the house with the oven When the devil speaking through me like the mouth of a puppet And all the guilt that I carry when I'm out in the public Yeah, so don't do it cause we did it and God spared us Don't do it cause we did it and God spared us Yeah, cause you reap what you sow But I know that by the power God spared that I ain't going back Stay updated, stay entertained with Active FM on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, LinkedIn, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else. Engage with us, like, post, comment, share them out, retweet, retweet, and repost. Spread the word. Active FM. Radio has never been better.